I spent a lot of time in the outback on back dirt roads. There were two times I had to actually go to a main road and put my water bottle upside down, showing that I was out of water. What if no cars pulled over? Well, one day it did take a long time. One day it it took several hours. (sighs) I hope you're all feeling suitably comfortable and lazy at home, because today on the show is Angela Maxwell, who walked 20,000 miles or 32,000 kilometers around the entire world. It took her the best part of six years to do so, and she learned as much about life as is humanly possible. She's just back now, having overcome all sorts of adversity on the trip. She suffered from sunburn blisters and heat stroke in the Australian desert, and dengue fever in Vietnam. Things hit a real low point when a man broke into her tent in Mongolia and raped her. We'll discuss those moments as much as the myriad positive interactions and experiences. She, better than most of us, has experienced the limits of life, so I'm honoured that she's here to share it all with us on episode 60 of the On The Edge with Andrew Gold podcast. How did we get to 60? Angela's energy and enthusiasm are infectious, and I found she can teach us all to live a little more ambitiously and to open our worlds. She began her solo walk in 2013, and she's back now a changed person. And it all started after hearing in her art class about a man who had supposedly done the same. She read up on other women explorers such as Robin Davidson who traversed Australia with camels. She learned to effectively sleep with one eye open, but also had magical experiences of the kindness of humans in some of the most remote and enchanting parts of the world. Oh, and did I mention that her walk raised $30,000 towards shelter and education for girls rescued from sex trafficking? quite something. Angela does speaking, coaching and mentoring. Just go to her website, shewalkstheearth.com to find out about that. And you can also find her on Angela Marie Maxwell on Instagram and Angela Marie Max on Twitter. I'm on Andrew Gold underscore OK on both. I share video clips there so you can see what we look like. And you can do the same on youtube.com slash Gold one You can get the bonus interviews on patreon.com slash andrewgold or the Patreon app. God, I'm going on about this a bit. It's also now on Apple subscriptions. There's Apple subscriptions. It's a new thing, Apple subscriptions. You might have to update your iPhone, uh, but you can do a free trial there and just cancel if you want after that. Please do review the podcast. I'll share one of my favorites ever from a Trump supporter, no less, after the interview. Walking, Angela told the BBC, has taught me that everything and everyone has a story to share. We just have to be willing to listen. Now it's time for us to listen to Angela. Tell me uh, very briefly, you know, who who you are. I'm still trying to learn who I am, but I'm Angela Maxwell, and I just completed a six and a half year walk around the world. What inspired you to go on this journey? Great question. Um, other than I think um, I might just be a little bit crazy. Uh, I I have always been inspired by people who are doing adventures, you know. I mean, reading about Jane Goodall and Sacagawea growing up. So I always loved that. But I, I never saw myself as someone who would do those things. So when I got the idea to you know, take this long walkabout, uh, it was like a now or never. I was 32 and it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this crazy thing, 
now's the time to do it. Did you give yourself like rules? What what were the rules? Like, could you get in a car? Could you hitchhike or anything like that? Was it all walking? So, yeah. So basically I said to myself, I want to walk every step possible. So um, what that meant is I would have point A to point B and I would do everything I could to walk it. There were two occasions where I did have to take a ride. One of them was when I was in Turkey along the Black Sea and it was actually a, a highway and it was narrowing down to go over an ocean and there was no, uh, there was no shoulder. And I knew that this was just ridiculously dangerous. And so I ended up having to kind of hail someone down. Um, and one in New Zealand when I had to get to a, a ferry and the road was um, flooded. So there are some times that I had to, but generally it was no hitchhiking. Um, I walked every step most, most of the way. And I stopped counting at about 20,000 miles when I was crossing the U.S. on my last leg. I decided, you know, I'm not interested in counting the miles so much. It must be hard to walk when you've got, like, I, I know that feeling when I've got to walk and it's 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's another 10 minutes. <laughs> so is it better to just get that out of your mind? Yes. I mean, I think... Um, you know, if we go out, it, let's just think about a day hike. If you go out and you want to experience nature and maybe you just, you want to get outside in fresh air or you've been stressed. If we think about just how far we're going to get, you know, we really are constantly thinking about the destination. And there were times I think that that shows up when you might realize you might've met someone along the trail and thought, oh, they seemed interesting. I should have stopped and said hi. Or, um, you know, I could have taken my time and just sat more, you know, on the outlook, meaning there's this place where we realize it really is, you know, as much as it's, uh, you know, kind of an overused saying that it really is about the journey and not the destination. And I think that's just a really good way to live, even if you're just doing a hike or a 10 minute walk to go get a cup of coffee. But didn't everything hurt? I can't walk. For, if I walk for 20 minutes, my neck starts to hurt and then my <laughs> feet hurt by the end. So surely everything was, did you have to do, did you have to plan for this and do exercise and stuff before? Well, I did actually start training a little bit. I, I, I started building up where I knew that on average, it seemed doable to do about 15 to 20 miles a day. And so I thought, well, <clears throat> I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, walk as many miles as I can and just see how my body feels. But I had no weight on me and I didn't have a cart with my water and my gear. So I think I got up to about seven um, miles just doing, you know, Shevlin Park in Bend, Oregon, which is where I started. And of course, that takes time. I was still working. I had clients to to talk to. And so it was kind of hard putting that time in. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and then I met a, another long distance walker who their advice was actually stop training and eat all the pizza and the ice cream you want <laughs> because you're going to shed weight. Your body will adjust to it. It's just walking. This isn't a marathon. So just enjoy yourself. And that's exactly what I did. I think I binge watched Netflix for a while. I felt all the comforts of home knowing I would miss it and just thought, okay, well, when I get out there, we'll see how my body adjusts. And it was difficult. The first two weeks were brutal. I read that you were in a relationship at the time as well when deciding to do this walk. How was that? I mean, you had to end it all, I guess. Um, well, you know, luckily we were also, you know, we were in a relationship at the time, but we were great friends. And so as soon as I had said I wanted to do this, he was incredibly supportive. And uh, I mean, even that first week when I started um, from my, my friend's house, he would come out and pick me up at night. And so I'd have for about 
four or five nights in the beginning, I could go back and take a shower and have a bed and just have those cuddles and say goodbye. Um, but when I got on the plane to fly to Australia, which was the first continent I would walk. So I walked from Bend to Portland, which took about two and a half weeks. And it was wonderful because I had friends come out and they were bringing me homemade, you know, chocolate chip cookies and coffees and, you know, and then I get on the plane and I do Australia and it was a whole different ball game. Right. So (laughs) no one around, I don't know anything. And that was, I think a moment of, oh my goodness, what have I done? (laughs) So, so your ex-boyfriend, he was sort of picking you up and taking you home to sleep and then, and then driving you to exactly the exact spot you were the previous day for the first few days. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So we would do mileage, mileage counter and um, and I'd have my cart that I'd have to put in the car. And yeah, it was it was a bit of a to do. But it was I think it was the one thing like the gift that he could give that would just support me and make me feel a little comfortable. Because when people think about walking, they they do think about the pain that the body can feel. But oftentimes, especially for women, what they think about is the fear of camping, you know, alone. And you never know where you're going to camp. And so um, that just added a little extra feeling of safety before I kind of dove into it full on. Are you still in touch with him? Did things rekindle? Do you mind me asking? Oh, no, not at all. I, as I said, everything's an open book. Um, no, we're, we're still in connection. You know, um, he actually recently got married um, and he's doing really well and, you know, was very, very supportive throughout the whole walk um, oh. and his family. So, yeah, I feel I feel very, very lucky. Oh, that's very nice. Um, so then the rules were, right, so you could then get a plane. Obviously, you can't walk across the sea, right? I mean, that's impossible. <laughs> Some people would probably prefer to kayak or, yeah, I didn't have a rule about I have to, you know, it, it, it isn't about no motor vehicles, right? There are some people who do that kind of travel. It's going to be horseback and then it's got to be by boat. No, I allowed, I did a lot more flying, unfortunately, than I wanted to uh, due to visas and you know, sometimes just taking a break. I had an injury once and just a small one in Scotland. And so I flew to New Zealand and, you know, visited some friends in Italy. So there was a lot more, a lot more flying than I, than I wanted it to be. How did you eat and stuff? Did you, did you work to, to save up money before going? Yeah. So basically I sold everything that I owned, which wasn't very much, but like I had a car and a Jeep and a little cottage full of stuff. I didn't own a home or anything. So really it was just several thousand, several thousand of dollars to, to get me through five to six years, I estimated. Um, and so that was actually what kind of, uh, you know, bird this idea that, um, what if I just live on about $5 a day on average, there would be days where I would spend nothing, you know, long stretches, like in Mongolia, there was, you know, nothing to buy. Um, and I would just stock up on, you know, cheap foods. So the diet wasn't great, but it was, you know, two minute noodles and oatmeal and, um, you know, peanut butter, you know, things like that. So it kept the way that I could afford it was I'd always camp unless I got close to a city, then I would splurge on a a hotel. Hilton. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I would go Four Seasons. Yeah. <laughs> but that must have been, at that at that point, it must have been a real, even just any hotel must have been a real treat after all the camping and stuff. Did it feel that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, what would happen, I would always try to go cheap. I mean, it, so that did mean oftentimes hostels, which was not my favorite because I'm an introvert. I've been out on the road and I just wanted to have my own, you know, space to take a shower and rest. But what I found was interesting is by the time I got to a place, it would generally be close to sundown 
And so I didn't feel like I got a good rest day. So I would always convince myself to stay another day so that I could actually have a full day off. So most of the time I would end up staying somewhere for for two. (laughs) You have to, you'd have gone, you'd have gone crazy otherwise. I mean, I mean, the the amount of time you spent on your own, had you seen um, Into the Wild? Yes, yes. Um, I forgot his name, but. Um, Yeah, I forgot his name as well. I know. (laughs) I forgot. I'm like, oh. Oh, and I heard it not long ago. But yes, where he goes out into the wild, his his end is a bit tragic. But I do love that that kind of idea, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's what people compare when someone goes out and does an adventure. They think of, oh, what it would feel like to leave all your belongings and, you know, go live in the wilderness. And he was lucky to find the bus and, you know, have, have some place to go in the winter. I don't think I've ever cried as much as I did at the end of that film. Just something about it. Because they show the real him, the real guy, and he ate the wrong mushroom. Were you ever eating sort of mushrooms and things from the floor? Did it get to that at any point? No, no, I know my limits. Yeah. I I was <laughs> I wasn't educated enough in that. I mean I did I would pick like in um England and Scotland, I would pick like little wild strawberries and cherries off the trees and even little asparagus I would find. Um in Turkey there'd be these little asparagus and I put them in my noodles but for the most part I avoided the mushrooms hmm. and the nuts and things that I didn't recognize because yeah. I didn't want to end up having a tragic ending like him <laughs> yeah no that makes sense I understand how did you choose um the countries because obviously walking around the world uh when you first think of that you're like okay walking around the world but then you think well that's you can't do all the countries like that because that would be sort of doing the whole the whole sphere uh so how did you choose your trajectory so the first thing I knew was that i I wanted to attempt four continents. And so I chose them based on what actually seemed doable. Um, So for example, with Australia, I knew I would be going through the outback in the desert, but, you know, Australia, Asia, which I thought it would be Southern, um, Southeast Asia at first, but I ended up doing Central Asia and Europe and the States. I mean, places like, you know, um, doing Africa and South America, I would love to do that and maybe Central America, but I knew that those would be a little more challenging for me to attempt. Um, So then I would just let it be a little intuitive. I would say, okay, I want to go from this, you know, this country to this country, or even I would just break it into smaller legs so it seemed doable. So I'd say, okay, I want to get from Tbilisi, uh, Georgia to Istanbul, Turkey. And then which route? Am I going to go central or am I going to go by the water? And I would research or I'd ask people. So people actually helped shape it. People would say, oh, there's this beautiful road. You should go this way or whatnot. And I would just let let that be a little intuitive. It must have been a very freeing feeling, you know, just leaving it up to destiny in some sense and just walking and every walk. Again, I, I can't even it's my mind is so different to yours because mine is so lazy that I can't even envisage or even even try to start to empathize with your way of thinking of like, because even then I'm thinking every step is another step closer to home. And I guess that's not what you, <laughs> you weren't thinking that way, were you? Well, no, it definitely starts that way. I mean, when when you're having those grueling days, especially the, the, the first two weeks um, in Oregon, it was just, my mind would, would go to, oh my gosh, it's going to take so long to get home. <laughs> and then I would, I would want to speed up and have, you know, almost like how fast can I go to, yeah. to get back to from where I started? And it's like, but that's another five years. That's crazy. I would have to work on my mind. I mean, I think you know that with any kind of um, endeavor that that takes some severe challenge physically, it really takes the mental capacity, you know, to to work with it. I mean, that was the biggest piece. I had to work with my mind. 
so that I wouldn't be thinking, oh my gosh, each step is going to get me closer to home. But then what is home anyway? I mean, even being back in Oregon now, it's mm-hmm. it's a bit surreal. I definitely have faced what other adventurers have um, have dealt with. You know, even people who just go do hiking for two weeks, they come home and it's hard to reintegrate. You have this certain freedom and slow pace, an ability to really just do what you want when you want to. And then you get back to a world where everyone's so structured. It is a little bit challenging and it comes back to the mind. So sure. I, there's still some laziness to my, to my <laughs> mind. Too. I don't believe that. I think um, <laughs> it's sort of the opposite of being institu- institutionalized. It's the opposite of that sort of, you know, people mm. who've been in prison a long time. I suppose you've had the opposite. You've been without any sort of constraints in that sense. Is there a, is there a sense now? And I know I've, I've skipped to the end of your uh, trip, so we'll go back to the middle in, in a minute. But is there a sense coming back? Uh, like, what do I do now? You know, is there that Forrest Gump thing where he just keeps running because there's nothing else left? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've thought quite a bit about that around, um, you know, being back in Oregon and then saying, well, I, I miss, I miss the road. I miss it. Really, it's the freedom. And I want to get back out into it. But at the same time, I want to do it in a, a more structured way. So like, I still want to walk Iceland. There are a lot of places I didn't get through, um, a large part of, of um, Europe just because of, you know, the visa issue. I mean, there is no visa ultimately um, unless you do a year long thing. So I only have three months ever to get through um, Europe. And because, well, it, Italy is beautiful and the people were amazing and the wine was really good. I had a really hard time. <laughs> I had like, like, like three times I was trying to walk and I, I would walk, but then I would stick around for two weeks with a friend or, find, you know, a vineyard to work in and just, you know, get to experience making, you know, uh, uh, sheep cheese. And, and then you go, okay, well, this is what this is about. I'm not going to get, you know, too far. I'll come back. But the thing about now is um, I've had a vision of what I want to do with people around kind of helping them with their mindset, right? And that is where we make changes ultimately in our lives that, that lead us towards that fulfillment. And I do want to get back on the road for the sake of freedom, but that would be a little bit of kind of running away from my reality at the moment. And I don't want my walk ever, you know, for that to be about running from something, you know, that's never what the walk has been. And so I'm looking more at how do I structure my life to be able to keep doing what I want while, you know, having a business and and serving people in some way. Is it, I mean, you touched on that, there's this, I suppose it's a cliche with running and walking and stuff of what am I walking or running away from? Uh, is Was there any of that? Because it would be perfectly understandable. I mean, you just, a lot of people could relate to that feeling of wanting to just ah, sh- shut off the noise of the city and the, the life and just go. I think that that was like a bit of a byproduct of it. I mean, people often ask, like, you know, loneliness, like being, you know, being a, uh, alone for so long. And the thing is, I actually really like my own company. <laughs> I prefer it right over um, people. And I would always get a little bit of an anxiety when I actually got near villages or towns because I, I knew I would have to engage mm. um, and meet people. And I like that connection. But I love the long stretches of um, no people and the slowing down. Um, and I think as long as we're seizing the opportunity to get to know ourselves more, in those places of solitude, which is, you know, what I think a lot of people are actually drawn to when they go hiking, um, that sense of getting in touch with themselves and their thoughts. And 
so there, I think the byproduct of going out and being willing to do that, naturally, there's a sense of freedom. And I'm, I've left some, some aspect of, of, you know, my life and who I thought I was, I've, I've left that behind. And so who are, then are we walking into? Like, meaning, can we let our environment and our experiences shape us, you know, rather than molding ourselves to the environment? It's tough, though, isn't it? Just to let go. Just let go and and see. Because, yeah, again, I'm sort of torn between thinking if I were you, I'd, I'd like the idea of this, but I want to have my laptop with me, uh, which I presume you didn't have like a laptop or anything, did you? No. I did. I, did. Oh, you well, did. I didn't use it very much, but I, <laughs> I had it with me because I was trying to write stories and keeping up with it. And I gave that up pretty quickly because walking was yeah. was it hard enough, like just its own thing. And I, I didn't have any sponsorship. I, I didn't have... Um, I didn't have anything to show up for. There was no one, you know, waiting. I mean, other than my mom, <laughs> but, um, but I, I kind of made the choice not to document it so much. So I took some photos, a short little snippet of, of videos, um, that I could just send to friends and family. And then sometimes I convinced myself to put it up on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, I would just be on the laptop yeah. the whole time. So I got, um, <laughs> we're doing this, as some people won't know in the, in the podcast, we're doing this as a bit of a live stream. And I saw a question come through from Rihanna, which is uh, a good question, which is, uh, were you ever worried about health hygiene and, brackets, maybe too intrusive of a question, periods and stuff? Oh, no, I love the period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's actually a great question. I I wasn't so worried about health. Um now, granted, the diet was pretty poor. So, you know, there is that aspect of, you know, just making sure that I got enough nutrition. So there was a place around making sure that I had enough protein, which was usually peanut butter and nuts and, and then, you know, getting enough carbs through oatmeal and sometimes cooked rice if I was lucky. Um, but, you know, yeah, so periods and things. I, <laughs> um, I love this question because the thing is I always carried my own trash. Mm. So I, I did this thing of no trace left behind. Um, and so particularly, for example, in, in Australia, in the outback, there was a time where I had three trash bags of stuff from like my packaged noodles and things. Cause I didn't want to leave anything behind and contribute, you know, to, you know, to um, mm. littering. So, so heavy, you're like running more and more stuff. It was, but because I had a cart, I could, it carried most of the weight. I just had to have the ability to push it. Now, when it got really sandy, that's when I was cursing and oh. thinking, what am, what am I doing? Um, but with periods, just to answer Rihanna's question here, is that I, um, I, I did have to you know, carry um, tampons. I tried not doing that. But let's just say because of hygiene, Rihanna, that, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I couldn't use some of the reusable aspects because water was everything. So for example, uh, you know, even because everything had to be that I could cook with or drink. So like even brushing my teeth, I would, I would just use one sip to brush and rinse. Mm. And so, um, it, you know, there was, there was this kind of aspect of making sure that every drop of water is used for something that will keep you alive rather than cleaning. So I would go, so long without a shower and i would have this <laughs> i'd have this saying that like you know you you know you're pretty dirty <laughs> when you know you offend someone else <laughs> when they're like oh my gosh you see but when you start offending yourself you know you're in trouble but there's nothing you can do just wet wipes is, is all i had and 
Um, and that was better than using water. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you a good, a good visual. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a good, that's a nice visual. And I thought it's, what would you say for a, a smell, a visual of a smell? Oh. Good. Um, well, I'll tell you what, my, my favorite um, kind of look and feel was I hadn't showered in over a month. And I was in the Australian outback and the, the reddish dirt actually stained my skin. Like it, it didn't come out for, for months. I mean, I mean, not like just all over. It was, you know, it was in my nails, but it was also more like it had stained my legs and my feet and I just couldn't get it out. So I had that. I'm incredibly hairy. So, you know, it's another girl thing. You know, I didn't carry razors to shave or anything. So I'm, I, I've got practically dreadlocks in my hair. You know, I've got the you know, the, the clay stuck in my skin and I felt beautiful. Aww. Like I just, it, I know I smelled, I know I looked, you know, horrendous, but there was something about just the strength of it that here I am. I, I think back and I, I'm like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? But I'm surviving it. I'm finding water. I'm enjoying the sunsets and the sunrises and I am free. In this moment, I am completely free. And those those feelings, those moments are what help carry me along. I can I can totally understand that. I can imagine that because I, I you'd feel like you're in a in a movie a little bit. You got like the dust in your face, and you're like you know the hairs everywhere. And you're like yeah, keep on. I would quite like that feeling. I I understand. <laughs> I understand that. We should we should touch on or get into uh you know. Well, actually no, I want to talk about Australia because the outback. That's just that's just insanity isn't it what so you just went through the middle of australia no so i actually so i did the western side so it's still you know when you when you're using the phrase the outback it's basically anywhere kind of in the desert i mean generally people think of the outback as the middle and a lot of people go through it the nullabore they'll go straight across but because i i wanted to just kind of do my own thing and i didn't want to be on you know a trail that most people used i did the west coast so i did from perth to um, a small village that ends in the ocean um, called Columbaru. So it's basically, it's, it's um, just west of Darwin and they both have a little point, but Darwin really comes up you know, a bit high. And so I wanted to end in Western Australia uh, and in an Aboriginal community. And it was this beautiful kind of secluded beach. Um, and so it, it was mostly all sand, but there were roads. So for example, even though I spent a lot of time in the outback on back dirt roads, um, there were two times I had to actually go to a main road um, and put my bottle, water bottle upside down, showing that I was out of water. Oh my God. And that someone would stop. <gasps> so, I mean, I was very lucky. Someone told me to do that. Oh, I just I just started drinking water <laughs> subconsciously. It I just... has a psychological effect to drink. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I can get before Angela steals all my water and other people in cars don't give me water. Oh my God, the panic just set in just thinking about that. Because what if no cars pulled over? Well, one day it did take a long time. One day it, it took several hours. Plus, I mean, there's a woman on the side of the road with a cart. It, it's There are people worried that, I mean, what what am I doing out yeah. there? So maybe it's some kind of a trick. Yeah, you look nuts. To get someone to pull over and they'll <laughs> steal the car or something. You know, they're very worried about that. You're out, you know, in the desert. So it doesn't look right. You're mm. driving through the desert on a dirt corrugated road. And then there's this white woman with a big cart of stuff and she's waving you down. 
very, it makes sense that people would not want to stop. Yeah. But I didn't have too many people pass. It's just that there weren't that many people on the road. That's a scary, did you, did you panic? Did, did fear set in? No, I, I, you know, I'd never had um, fear of running out of water per se. I mean, I always knew I could get to the road and someone would stop if needed. And again, okay. I did have to do that twice. Um, but what what helped me was I had a water filter that fil- uh, filtered out bacteria and virus. Hmm. And so there were times that I was practically behind a cow where there's just muddy water because it's so dry and I'm sucking out all the water to have something to drink. I mean, it's I know it's it's pretty gross, but it would come out beautifully clear and it was like, I'm surviving the desert if that's what it takes. <laughs> wow. And so what you were like behind the cow in a queue for the muddy water. <laughs> yes, exactly. Practically right under the cow, just putting my little <laughs> filter in and sucking the water out. And um, and I had to do that at times. But I'll tell you what, even though it sounds kind of gross, it, it there's that feeling that, but I, I can survive this. So and if, and if I can survive this, surely I can do it anywhere yeah. in the world. I mean, so... Doing Australia first, although it was a bit crazy to jump into the outback as my initiation into a continental walk, you know, it it did teach me if I could survive it, I could go anywhere. And so the fear didn't quite set in in Australia. One of the scariest points, I think, was in Mongolia when a man broke into your tent and raped you. Uh, I'm speaking mm-hmm. in very concrete terms because we discussed this earlier and you wanted to confront it head on. Yeah. Could you uh, tell me what happened? Yeah. So, um, so basically, you know, as I said, I had walked across Australia. I was feeling really good. I had, I had actually gone from Australia. I flew to Vietnam and I was going to do Southeast Asia, but within 10 days of walking from Da Nang to Hue in Vietnam, I got dengue and I just, it, it, it just allowed, yeah. And it allowed me this moment though, to say, well, do I really want to walk Southeast Asia? Like I said, I was going to, I, I had this whole idea of where I was going to travel, you know, and, and, you know, really seriously thought that's the route I'm going to take. I have decided it. I put my black, you know, marker Sharpie across a flat map and I thought I was going to stick to it. But <clears throat> when I when I had dengue, I just realized, you know, I love the solitude and I love just just that free open space where in Vietnam, I mean, there's just people everywhere. I mean, even finding camping was difficult. There wasn't this feeling of real wild places. So I made a decision to to get on a plane and go up to Mongolia and start from Ulaanbaatar and walk across Mongolia heading towards Russia. And um, and I was pro- it was about a, almost a month Um, because it took three months to cross Mongolia. It was about a month in and I was so relaxed. I, I, you know, you hear things like, oh, the culture, you know, the people are so friendly and there's nothing to worry about. And because I experienced that in Australia as well, I never had an issue. I was a little bit more kind of relaxed than usual. So I didn't really have a little booby trap thing going on or prepared. So I was just like my guard was down. I had fallen asleep. I was reading a book. Um, and I, I had my stove still out. I had actually made some toast. I'd, there was a village, you know, a few days walk. I'd gotten like a loaf of white bread and I had made some toast over my fire and I fell asleep. And this, um, this Mongolian nomad came in the middle of the night and, um, you know, with one thing on his mind. Um, and 
and it was a fight. It was, it was uh, quite a battle. And there was a certain position that I got into that it, it, it felt like it was kind of over, meaning I, I was now pinned. My arms are pinned. I, and I, there was no kind of technique that I had in my mind. And there's, there's just pure terror. Meaning what in that moment, it's just like, oh my God, this is happening. I've tried, you know, I, I can't scratch eyeballs. I don't know what to do. I mean, he was tall. I could smell the vodka on his breath. He was just a big, big, you know, big man. Um, now there's some details that I will save everyone from. I won't go through the whole thing. I'll, I'll, I will write about that in the book though, because it's, to me, it's quite profound, um, in the situation. But when he began to leave the tent, what was fascinating to me, looking back on it, not in the moment, but he started to upright the stove and put put the bread back into the, the bag. It's like he was trying to write things. Oh, my God. You know, what it wrong. And then he just slowly crept out in, into the night. And so I, you know, this is, you know, the adrenaline's running. I don't know what to do. So I basically just pack up all my stuff. Um, it was about three in the morning. I pack everything up, put it in the cart and I just start walking in case he was going to return. So I found this little ravine, um, and I just pushed me in the cart the cart kind of rolled. I might've dented it a little bit trying to get it in, but we just sat in the ravine and I waited for the sun to rise. And this was the moment that I knew I had a decision to make. Like, am I, my worst fear has just come true. So am I going to go home and go back to the comfort of what I had, which ultimately I don't even have anything to go back to. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I don't have a partner or, or a job. I, you know, it was like, I'm not sure what I'm actually going back to. Or do I just keep walking and tap into that innate sense of courage that, that I've seen in other women? Thinking about their stories and how they carried on and persevered in times of challenge. And so really it was thinking about other women's stories that helped me to stand up that morning and decide to just keep walking. And that's when the fear, you know, settles in. I mean, when people would ask, you know, even up to six months ago when I was still close to Oregon, you know, aren't you afraid? Well, of course, of course, every, every day there's some moment of fear, whether it be a person or a bear or um, a car hitting you or whatever it could be, there's always a little moment of that but it's not going to stop me. I'm just going to notice it's there and then try to, you know, diligently, you know, carry on and, and also just be smart about the decisions I make and where I camp. And yeah. I think what's really frustrating listening is that you want that man to be brought to justice, but you know, Mm. he just got away with it. He just slinked out. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there was no way of, I did reach a village then that day. I walked for about 22 miles to get from that ravine into a, a local little village. And I thought to myself, for all I know, he actually lives here. Yeah. I don't know. You know, there were a few a few um, little houses, wooden houses and, and some gares, which are the you know Mongolian yurts. And um, and I thought I wouldn't know what he looked like. I, I, I mean, even if I went to the police, which there wasn't a local police, I mean, they weren't going to probably be able to understand me. So the thing is that I had to keep walking and I had to accept that there's no justice in it. I have to do the work of forgiving him, um, 
not blaming myself for the camping spot I chose or that I could have fought harder, you know, anything like that. I had to just let it go and and forgive him. And I think that's, that's been one of the biggest lessons for me in that as well. I'm so sorry you went through that. What a, what a bastard. What a real shit. Mm. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, it's now been, you know, about four and a half years ago and, what I can at least say is that through the work that I kind of knew before I started walking, um, I just was able to move through it so that it didn't become a wound and it didn't become a part of my story that it had to shape yeah. who I was based on that. Yeah. And and that's what I think, you know, that's what I think I'm most interested when, when working with people is, you know, how do we take these stories and we say this happened, but it doesn't define who we are either. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Where did you go on from there? Um, So I walked to the border of Mongolia and I couldn't get a visa into Russia Hmm. uh, because I, I, (laughs) I didn't know, but I shouldn't have told them that I was going to walk across (laughs) Russia to get into Kazakhstan. Um, 
And they were like, no, we really don't like that idea. So we're not going to let you in. Uh, so I learned from that. Don't tell any country you're going to walk across it. Uh, and so I then actually took a train and I um, went to Tbilisi, Georgia, um, where I knew I could start. And I had a friend and then walked across Georgia to Batumi um, on the Black Sea and then carried across to Istanbul um, in the northern region, right along the edge of the Black Sea, which was incredibly humid. Oh, hum- oh my God, it must have been. In- I don't know how you did any of this. I don't know how you did any of this. There's a point you said uh, you started walking, not because you were fearless, but because you were terrified. Did you feel more, more fearless towards the end after having gone through everything you could go through? Well, you know, I often say, I think that, that being fearless is a bit of a myth. Um, in the sense of it, I mean, it is how we approach what, what we're afraid of. So when I say, I, you know, I didn't start walking because I was fearless, but because I was terrified. What I was terrified of was not following my heart, right? Like not listening to this incredible impulse that, yes, it's crazy. You know, yes, it's totally out there. Um, yes, there's danger and there's risk and you have to give up your whole life to do it. But it was that feeling that if I don't follow this calling now, I knew that, you know, later in my life, I would probably look back and and think, oh, my God, I had this opportunity to do this thing and I didn't take it. Um, and then if I don't do it now, would I be able to listen to my heart and follow a calling, you know, from then on? Um, and so the fearless aspect, I think now is I'm just more willing to take risks. I... I know that there's danger involved in almost anything. It's dangerous when we get into a car. So um, it has shaped me in the sense that at the end of the walk, um, I just fear, I, I feel more ability to face um, those challenges and take the risks. You became a godmother, is that right? I, I did. Well, <clears throat> I officially am not the the godmother to... Um, to two, to two of, of, of my godchildren, but I'm the fairy godmother. So, <laughs> and that's because, you know, other, other parts of the family had to be the official godparents. But I, yeah, I have um, a, a godson in Bend who, who actually walked part of the first day. He was only uh, one and a half at the time. So he, <laughs> he did a few little steps. Um, and then I met a friend in, in Italy um, uh, and she's become one of my besties and she had a little daughter and I'm, yeah, the fairy godmother of that daughter. Yeah. 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 I met her because when I was walking through, I was actually in, um, uh, just South of Naples and there was this horrendous storm. I mean, it was, I, I actually found a little campground. It was off season, but they let me pay them five euros to sleep on the property. This just horrible winds, you know, the, the water was actually rising so that it was coming into the tent. And I was just cuddled up, like, there's nowhere else to go. This is my, you know, this is my um, uh, protection. And I remember the, the owners came out and were like, please come inside. And they gave me this little cabin to stay in. And I thought, I, I need to let this storm pass. It's not often I can choose. I can choose, meaning I can choose to stay in the tent an extra day or two. But it's not often I can actually say, look, this weather is really bad. And I'm in a situation where I, I have this cabin or, you know, I can wait it out. So I had decided to see if there was anyone locally uh, that needed help with something. And I could just give it a few days. Um, And I found my friend Jen, who was in Tuscany and had this beautiful villa and wanted to help to build a garden and reconstruct some walls. And let's just say I, 
I didn't get back to Naples for <laughs> several months <laughs> because I just loved it. I loved the villa and we, we just clicked and you know, that's actually, I'm trying to get back to Italy to, to visit. I'm going tomorrow. You, to Italy? Yeah, we're going to Tuscany. Oh, there, okay, there you go. Maybe you can meet my fairy god daughter. <laughs> yeah, could do that. We're going to, where are we going? We're going to Bologna and then we're going down to Florence and then we're going to spend a few days in the countryside, Tuscan countryside, and then down to Rome for a couple of days. Just like a holiday. I've never been to Italy, so we thought we'd go. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Is there something that you feel you have to try? Like, did you ever say, oh, I have to try an Italian wine while I'm there? I have to go to Naples to try a, an official Napoli pizza or anything? <laughs> it's funny. I'm so I'm so the opposite of you because I'm just lazy. Like, but, but honestly, I'm, I'm not even kidding. The whole time you've been talking, I've been feeling my neck hurting from the walk. My neck starts to hurt when I walk. <laughs> and and wine, I thought, oh, God, yeah, but it makes me, it makes my nose a bit blocked when I drink wine. And like every single, fi- imagine being my poor girlfriend who's... <laughs> going nice holiday and i'm like oh we could have some wine i suppose and (laughs) i have a feeling that she hopefully she's doing the planning then for where you guys are going to go and experience (laughs) she's planning a fair bit of it yeah i mean what do i want to do i'm looking forward to watching (laughs) on this terrible and the worst trap i'm looking forward to watching football there's a football match england are playing against germany by the time this comes out next week england will have lost and everyone will be going oh god you shouldn't yeah shouldn't have watched that (laughs) You know what? I'm very, I'm very passionate about languages. The one thing I get excited about, and I, I do want to see if I can understand through Spanish and French, I can un- some Italian because I never learned Italian, and I'd love to. That's the one thing. So you've helped. Yeah, because yeah. you already. I was going to say you already. Um, you know six languages, right? Already, mm. so five languages. Five. And five. So this could be six. There's a running joke on the podcast because I always mention it. I like to show off, and people have pulled me up on it a lot. <laughs> So they want to speak. They're like, let's speak in, 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 you know, French or something. And you're like, oh, boy, you have to switch your mind. <laughs> well, I could do it. It's just that it's just I'm, I'm a bit of a show off. That's what it is. I, keep, I have to stop mentioning that I speak five languages. I've, it's my one thing I show, show off about. <laughs> so tell me, what, what was it like going back to you? Because I've been chatting about me now for a million hours. What was it like having dengue fever? Is that is that like just having a normal fever? Um, well, it, you know, it, this is interesting. So there's no vaccine. You can, I mean, you can't, you can't get anything to prevent it like you could with yellow fever. Um, and there's really no cure other than resting and being hydrated. I mean, you could go to a, you know, to a hospital and, and get some fluids and IV drip, but um, in every case is different. I actually don't know. I've, I've heard conflicting uh, information, but I think that it actually might have to do with either our body, like maybe our blood type or the, mos- the mosquito itself. And me, I don't, I'm not sure, but every case is very different. And so some people have severe um, symptoms. I think mine was mild. I mean, and, and I mean it in kind of like a middle, if you were to say there's almost no, no feeling, maybe a little headache to kind of like the middle. So what it felt like was it's basically nonstop 24 hours for me for almost a full month of just a full on migraine. <sighs> and and then in, in, on the inside, it kind of felt like the my bones were being kind of just rubbed. And so there was this heat and kind of burning, twisting sensation. Um, I mean, I know some some people have experienced dengue and they they actually, their mind gets a little bit affected. And mm. they said that you have to lock yourself in the room so you don't go wandering. Oh, my God. Um, mine, luckily, was not like that. I, I, I found a room at the top of, of someone's place. I just stayed hunkered down um, in Hanoi for about a month. And it was just a dark room. 
you know, nothing. I tried to turn on a light and read a little bit, but it was a little challenging. So, oh my God. yeah, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of, a lot of nothingness for a while. Must have been a, a difficult time. And then, and, and uh, earlier, I suppose it was, was uh, you heat blisters, sun blisters. What, what are these heat blisters? Yeah. Well, I got in Australia, I did get, um, I got a little bit of heat stroke which still kind of affects me today. Um, and I didn't wear a lot of sunblock. So I would actually wear a scarf similar like this. I would just put it over and I think, okay, this will be good. It'll block the sun out. And I, because I'm not showering, I, it's like just this feeling that you're dirty. And then what you're going to just layer every morning, just lather on all this. So I was like, oh, slop. I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just a bit slop. No, I don't want that. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just cover myself with a hat and a scarf. But that wasn't doing the job. So I remember stopping one afternoon and noticing I was kind of like scratching my arm and I lifted up my my scarf and I just had boils all over the arms. And that's when I had to change how I walked, which was to get up hours before the sunrise, walk at night. And by seven or eight in the morning, it was just the heat was insane. I I think it was equivalent to like 115 um, uh, degrees Fahrenheit. And I would have to then structure some shade. And sometimes I would use my scarf. I actually used a cotton dress at one point. I'd stretch it out, you know, between my cart and some branches on a tree because they were very thin trees with not a lot of foliage. So I'd have to make my own shade structure. And, you know, from about 10 a.m. to 3, I would just have to stay huddled in the shade until it got cool enough. Um and uh, and that was hard because I couldn't get the momentum that I wanted, but it was better than being out under the sun. You became nocturnal. I did a bit. I did. <laughs> wow. And and it was nice to walk at night. It was cooler. Um, but the other thing is you can't see snakes as well. Oh my god! I luckily never stepped on one, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you just? Every, this sounds like a nightmare, a living nightmare. But it was it was snakes, and I guess there were big spiders and things. Now I've just remembered Australia is full of dangerous things, isn't it? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, I was very lucky. I saw a lot of snakes. I saw a lot of spiders. Um, like I did see a king brown, which is quite venomous. Um, What's that? But luckily, it's it just this huge just brownish snake that looks like the sand. So it's actually very hard to see. I, oh. I almost missed it because it was it was crossing through the sand on a corrugated road. Wow. Um, and I was just probably bopping along, singing horribly out loud to like the zombies or something. I'm just, you know, I'm in my own world. And then it's just like, oh, I see something move and realize, oh, that is a large venomous snake. I am going to stand here. I'm going to catch my breath. <laughs> and oh. I'm going to let it get very far before I carry on. And I'm still kind of wimpy, so I didn't just walk past. Once it went into the bush, I pretty much ran as fast as I could <laughs> to get past it. Well, you are not wimpy. So we've, we have covered <laughs> lots of sad and terrible things. You're an inspirational person and you're an uplifting person as well. What were some of the most beautiful, inspiring moments? Well, I, it, I mean, I had so many lovely interactions with people. Like I mentioned Jen in Italy. Um, but one of the things that uh, I found fascinating, and I know you already have your trip planned, but what I what I loved about Italy was actually the the island of Sardinia, mm. which is so it's a little bit northwest. Not everyone knows, but it's a, it's kind of northwest uh, to Sicily. So you have the main island, and then so I had I was in Rome visiting a friend, and I was going to walk, you know, start Italy, and I thought I'd go down to the very southern tip. Reggio Calabria, and then I just start walking up the horn there up into, you know, Switzerland and carry on. 
But then I met some cyclists um, at a cafe before I started walking and they were like, oh, Sardinia, it's beautiful. It's wild. There's camping everywhere. The wildflower. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And I was like, okay. And that's how it, this intuitive mapping happens. It's like, I think I'm going to get on the ferry and start in Sardinia. Are you just popping into s- cafes and just like, hello? And people are going, hi, I'm a, I'm a cyclist. <laughs> do, do you want to come to Sardinia with me? Yeah, why not? Is that happening? <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely, because of what I was doing and the, the look of my cart, um, it, it, it attracted attention. So of like course. if I did, if I was walking with the cart and I'd stop in a Starbucks to get a coffee or something, you know, which was my splurge. I was like, oh, I'm going to go in and get myself a an oat milk cappuccino or yeah. something, you know. Cheesecake. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, this was a, this is the best part too. Yeah. Because I was walking so much. I was like one of the few people I knew in my life, in my mid thirties, I could eat anything I wanted. Uh-huh. And I knew, you know, I'm, I'm generally going to lose it within a day or two walking so far. So yeah, I didn't have to watch, didn't have to watch my figure so much, um, which is now, now that I'm not walking, I have to, oh my gosh, really Andrew to keep up. I mean, I have to do some hit workouts. I got to mm. make sure I'm walking because what, once I stopped, my body was a little shocked. It was just like, oh, I'm sorry. You're not going to be, you know, walking for, you know, eight hours a day. Well, we're going to store all that, you know? So do you put, put on weight very quickly? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, since I finished, I, I, you know, I can see it in my cheeks. They call them little chipmunk cheeks. Yeah, I'd say I probably cheeks. gained about a good 12 or 15 pounds. Thank oh you. My. <laughs> That's why exercise is pointless. Anyone listening, don't do exercise. It's a waste of time because you just, as soon as you stop, <laughs> you just get fat and it's, you, you don't look fat, but you look lovely, by the way. You, you look great. I, <laughs> I am fat because I don't do any exercise, but then I'll do it and I'll lose the weight and then I'll be fat, the stop and be fat again. There's no point exercising. Good. We've, we, we agree on that. Let's continue. <laughs> we agree. Don't exercise. Yeah. Yeah, just mm-mm. just have fun, you know. <laughs> oh, but man. definitely drink wine when you go to Italy. You, you can't leave without that. I should drink some wine. No, we will. We will. We're going to go because all around yeah. Tuscany, we're going to go to all those things. Um, you mentioned, I think, in, in an article somewhere, the High Van Pass being particularly beautiful. Is that right? What is that? What's a High Van Pass? Yeah, so the High Van Pass is very special to me. Okay, so the High Van Pass, actually, I. <laughs> so this is one of the things with um, how I walked. I had an app on my phone and it was an offline thing. So I could download the country and it would even show like, okay, here's a road, but here's a, here's a dirt road. And based on the different dashes, it would let me know just how rustic or, or thin, you know, it's like really tiny, thin dashes might mean a goat trail, you know, you just, I mean, so it it just kind of gave me this sense, but I didn't look up elevation. I would, I would never know if I was going over a mountain pass until I realized <laughs> this thing is not going down. <laughs> like I, this mountain just seems to keep going up and then you get to the top and then all of a sudden you'll see, oh, you've reached the summit and, and uh, what the elevation was. And I go, of course, that's why it took two days <laughs> to get over this thing. Yeah. I never know. So I went, to, I went towards, I started going up High Van Pass without knowing what it was. And it really wasn't until I got down and going, oh, this is gorgeous. That pe- I met um, these motorcyclists that were doing all of Southeast Asia. They stopped because they saw my sign. They looked it up and they stopped and they gave me some of their like little, uh, like little Nutrigrain bars and were just chatting. And they were like, well, wasn't that amazing? We came to Vietnam just to do that because we saw it on there's a tv show you'll probably know this better than i do um top gear where they just do car top gear <laughs> i it. knew it'd be that like, 
It would be Top Gear. We saw it on yeah. Top Gear. They said it was one of the most beautiful drives. We took our motorbikes up and they were like, and you just crossed that? And I was like, oh dear, I guess I did. And <laughs> High Van Pass was beautiful. Accidentally climbed a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's one of those, you think you'd like to choose to climb a mountain. I just never knew. I mean, it happened in Sardinia, just going up and up and up. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, is this ever going to go down? And the hope you have that when, however far up you see, and I know people hiking probably experience this too, but it's like you coming up and you go, oh, that looks like the summit. And then, oh, it's going to be so great. We're going to go down. Nope. You go around the corner and it just (laughs) keeps going up and you just think, oh my God. I've seen that Simpsons episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, they had like the never-ending mountain or something. <laughs> Homer's climbing up and he, yeah, he keeps thinking he's finished and then he looks up and there's a huge, like, you know, oh. he's, he's not even halfway sort of thing. So it's quite funny. That, yeah. So before we, we're getting towards the end, but um, people are going to be annoyed at me if I don't ask sort of, uh, so how many countries was it, do you know, in total? And was it was it lots? Yeah. Oh God, but you know what's funny? It, I Every time I have an interview, I have to sit there and count and, and say the countries out loud. Seriously. No, because don't every do time that, I do, I go, I, I, no, well, kids, and then, and then I feel like, oh my gosh, I always forget one. And then it's when I get off the interview, go, oh, I forgot Belgium. That was it. You know, <laughs> everyone forgets Belgium. That's the one. It was so small. It took like a day and a half. Oh. Um, but no, uh, so 14 countries, and that that includes the U.S. and, and Australia and New Zealand. And, and then I always add in because it just it's so sad they don't get counted, but Sardinia and Sicily. So I always like to say a handful of islands. Um, uh, and so, yeah, 14 countries. And it was, again, bouncing around. As one friend said, it's, you know, I was walking around the world, but they were like, yeah, but when you do a map, you were here. And then you did Scotland to England and then popped over and did New Zealand and then, you know. And uh, I said, yeah. And she's like, it's kind of like you were waltzing around the world. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I was like, I guess I did. I danced. We could say I danced around the world more than walked. <laughs> the woman who waltzed around the world. That's, there's a movie in that. And so what's next? Are you speaking of movies in that? Um, you mentioned a book. Mm. What's, what's, what's going to happen? And, and also, so two questions. One with the book and yeah. s- stuff like that. And the other, I could have just asked it after actually. But I'm asking it as a double question. Um, okay. Are there any other sort of excursions planned for the future? Yeah. So like I said, I definitely still want to do expeditions where I want to, I want to do uh, Iceland and I mean, I actually even love to do Greenland. I, I do like, strangely, I do like the cold. Um, I prefer it over hot, humid heat. Um, like I'll take, I'll take a, a winter in Iceland over, you know, the tropics in, in Vietnam or something because you can't escape it. It's just all around you, the humidity and, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I still want to plan something for Iceland. I am, you know, working on a book. I know we talked about this pre-interview, um, and the time it takes. So when people ask about the book, it's like, oh, you know, like I have a speaking engagement in, in August and like, will you have the book? I'm like, oh gosh, no, no. I I, like, I just stopped walking five months ago. This is a, (laughs) as you know, writing a book is a whole new endeavor. Um, so it's going to take a while for me to write the book. And in the meantime, I'm getting my, my, um, coaching practice again, where I'm working with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, t- we go through courage and leadership and, you know, basically facing our fears. Like, how do we do that? And using things like not only our mind, but breath work, a little bit of movement, because that was my past, you know, I say it was my past life b- before my walk. Um, and so just utilizing those things so that people can close that gap from this is who I'd like to be and what I'd like to experience and do whatever's holding them back, here's how you create that bridge to get there. 
if I hadn't have done it, I would have never walked out the door. <laughs> and I'd still be living in a in a cabin, I think, in Oregon and never have, you know, taken the adventure. So I've got um, a question here just, and I guess it's a similar question to what you've just answered about in the future because Marianne says, would you do it again? Absolutely. I would do it again. I would probably even just do it the same way. I mean, even from dengue fever to, you know, the attack in, in Mongolia. Um, wow. You know, my cart broke on me in, in uh, Turkey. It just snapped. You know, it was just like, I absolutely would do it all over um, in a minute in a heartbeat, I would. It puts things in perspective as well, because I was in Turkey once and we were at the airport and I was about 11 and my, my, our trolley, you know, in, in the airport with the bags on it, it broke. And we got in such a bad mood from that and my, my dad got in a real temper. And I just thought, <laughs> you know, comparatively, it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Oh, it it does. And, and, you know, the other thing that's great about like, you know, if you're all alone and, you know, like you're, whether you're in the desert or you're hiking the Appalachian Trail or something and you're alone, no one knows quite what you have to go through. So I am definitely not going to, uh, you know, lie that there weren't times I was cursing and kicking my cart. I later apologized, but, you know, curse. And then like, what am I doing? I mean, absolute tears. I mean, even just that I had to, when I was walking across the States, I went, I walked across Wyoming and I had no idea how windy Wyoming was. I mean, it was, I was gaining maybe a mile an hour. It was full on headwind. I'm pushed. So I felt like I'm pushing, you know, some, I, I know this is your specialty, but you know, the workout where you put all the weights and you have to push it across <laughs> the floor. <laughs> yeah. It sounds lovely. And I just like, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? It's, it's, you know, I mean, it's practical. It's a practical workout. And I had, no, no idea about the wind. And I just remember several times, you know, here I am, it's been six years, I'm close to Oregon, and I would just collapse on the side of the road and weep like a baby. Oh. I think, what am I doing? I could be, it's all, it's going to be Christmas. I just want to be sipping mulled wine with my friend. And here I am pushing a hundred pounds of my gear into a headwind. And it's going to take another two weeks of this. Mm. This isn't really fun. What am I doing? <laughs> but I'm stubborn, and so I'm going to finish it. <laughs> I guess it's, I guess what you're saying is all these things looking at the time are horrible, but looking back are what are what make the trip. I guess if it had all been plain sailing, it wouldn't have shaped your life as much. Right. I mean, well, one of the things that I um, that I truly believe in, and I, I said this in the TED talk that I gave, um, "Courage is a verb." It's like you can't choose courage standing still. Like it's a motion you have to take. You have to step towards it. You can't sit on the couch and choose courage, right? So it's it's kind of this motion you have to, to take. Um, and what I did find is once you take the step and then the other one and then the other one, you build a momentum and it makes it easier. It's when we freeze that makes it harder for us to, to move forward in life. Thank you so much, Angela, for coming on the podcast. I always feel that people like her, who have done so, so much and had such a varied and exciting existence, coming on this show is but a tear in the rain. What I mean is, dear listener, you and I surely can't compete with the fascinating experience she had while trotting around the globe, but I'm sure she would appreciate a follow on Angela Marie Maxwell on Instagram and Angela 
Marie Max on Twitter. And take a look at shewalksthearth.com to find out about her coaching and mentoring. Right, you know where to find me. I haven't shut up about it. There's a Facebook page too, you know, but I, I go on and on about it. You can get YouTube membership. If you're watching this on YouTube, which you might be, there's a join a membership there. Apple, there's a million things. It's too much now. It's ridiculous. Um, that's enough of that. It doesn't end. Thank you to my newest patrons, by the way, uh, Helena Berglund and Daniel F. Really lovely people. Uh, with whom I talk quite frequently on social media, actually. So thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it, and it helps to keep this running. Um, I did want to read out one of my favourite all-time reviews. It came on CastBox from a listener called Remley, who wrote, As a Trump-loving, right-leaning libertarian, I really enjoy learning about even the most woke viewpoints. Honestly, with Andrew's calm, respectful style of interviewing guests, I usually find more common ground than differences. Thank you, sir, for doing honest, ethical journalism. I've received so many beautiful reviews from so many of you over the last year, and I appreciate every one of them. What I really like about Remley's review is that it reinforces the idea that we will find more common ground than differences, providing we don't make negative assumptions about those who think and vote differently from us. Being of liberal mind means being open to a plurality of voices and opinions, and nobody likes being lectured to. Anyway, that's the end of my lecture. I'm still working on next week's guest, so all I know is it will hopefully be someone interesting. As Angela said, and yes, I'm repeating the same quote I used at the beginning, everything and everyone has a story to share. We just have to be willing to listen. I hope you'll be listening next week. Bit of a cringy segue at the end. But yeah, see you soon.